you notice in your bulletin, we're talking about God sightings one more week after this Sunday. And uh, we focus on various places in our community just as a reminder that God is at work all around you. You may notice that the four public high schools are listed on the front of today's uh, bulletin. You pray for our schools and pray that God would work in a powerful way in our community. And you join God with what he is doing in this world. Also during this series, I'm asking you to text me a God sighting you've had recently. And I want to share some of those at the end of the service today. So let's pray together. Father, thank you for your grace, your mercy, your compassion. Thank you for your faithfulness. And thank you that you're greater than we can ever begin to imagine. May we celebrate that today. And may we worship you today in spirit and in truth. Hear our prayer. Bless this time as we look at your word as you've already blessed us in using it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Question. How many of you have ever felt uncertain? A lot of you have. We probably all do at some point in time or another. Suppose you're a senior in high school and you trying to figure out, what am I going to do when I graduate? Am I going to go to college or trade school or work for Uncle Joe? What am I going to do? Am I going to major in this or in that or in something else? If I do go away to school, what am I going to do with my life when I finish high school? Maybe you're a little older and you're thinking about... Uh, this relationship that you're in. Girls, you've met this guy and you think, he is pretty incredible. I really like a lot of things about him. He's kind, he's thoughtful, he's sweet. My friends like him. He goes to church with me. He seems like he loves the Lord. But he kind of has a hard time keeping a job and I'm just a little concerned about that. Or maybe you're a guy, you're dating a girl and, and you're thinking about popping the question guys remember the day when you popped the question and uh, you're thinking about asking and but you just want to be sure she's beautiful and kind and thoughtful and, and sweet and all of those things but uh, she's a little bit moody and you're just not real sure if you if this is going to be right for you and so you're thinking about that you're praying about God what should I do maybe you're just a, a little uncertain or maybe you're in your 30s or 40s or 50s and you have a job and you like your job. It's a good job. And it pays the bills pretty well. But it doesn't really pay what this other job that you've been offered can pay you. It's going to pay you nearly double what you're making now. And then you wouldn't have any trouble paying the bills. The budget wouldn't be quite so tight. But you're going to have to move 500 miles away in order to do so and your kids are in high school and you're just not sure if you want to do that. Have you ever felt uncertain? We can all be uncertain about different things. It might be your health. It might be your finances. It might be your relationship. It could be a lot of different things, but we all have places and times in our life when we feel uncertain. Now, there are some decisions you may not feel very uncertain about. You may be sure like last week, my daughter, Michaela, who's 17 years old, works at Sky's the Limit 
trampoline park here in town. She said, hey, Dad, you want to go jumping with me this afternoon? I'm thinking, no, I don't think so. This 62-year-old body, not sure it's going to make it a trampoline park. I'll be glad to go watch you. But I don't think I want to get into jumping up and down. You know, I'd be in the ER somewhere. Well, here in Isaiah chapter 6, a classic scripture in the Bible, we see a prophet and we see a people who are probably in a place of uncertainty. The king of their nation has died. And he was a good king. He did a lot of great things. He wasn't perfect, but he did a lot of great things for their country. And he had been the king for 52 years. How many know that's a long time to be in office? No term limits back then, okay? 52 years in office. He has been the king, but now he's dead. And on top of that uncertainty about what's going to happen now, there is a, a foreign king who is a potential enemy king by the name of Tiglath-Pileser. Spell that for me real quickly if you can. Tiglath-Pileser, somebody's going to text that to me before the service is over. But Tiglath-Pileser was a powerful king who was taking territory around them and possibly could be headed for them next. So this is a time of uncertainty here in Isaiah chapter 6. But it was during that time of uncertainty that Isaiah gets some good news. Here in Isaiah chapter 6 verse 1. Isaiah begins like this. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. How many of you know that's a great place to start? Isaiah said, I saw the Lord. Uzziah was a great king in many ways. He was a powerful king in many ways. He had been king for a long time. The only king that some of the people in their country had ever known. But Uzziah is gone. But that's okay. Because Isaiah says, I saw the eternal king. I saw the all-powerful king. I saw the mighty king, the one who ultimately sits on the throne. I saw the king of kings. I saw the Lord. This earthly king, Uzziah, is gone. And that happens in our life as well, too, does it not? People leave. Pastors come and go. Staff members come and leave. Church members move away. Deacons become deacons in other places. People change. Circumstances change. Think about this, about people changing. How many of you remember when you were in middle school or junior high school and you had this crush on this guy and you just thought he was amazing? But after about three months, he was mean to you, you broke up, and now you think he's horrible, right? Don't answer that if they're sitting in the room. People change. Circumstance change. Life changes. But we serve a God who never changes, amen? Hebrews 13, verse 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. People move. People can go away. But God says in Hebrews 13, 5, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. James 4, 8 says, if you will draw near to God, do you know what he'll do? 
he will draw near to you. In Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30, Jesus said, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and humble, gentle, lowly in heart. And you shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy, it fits well, and my burden is light. 1 Peter 5, 7. The Bible says you cast all your care on God, and he'll care for you. He's not going to leave you. He's not going to forsake you. He is not going to fail you. In the Great Commission, Jesus said this in Matthew 28, 20. Lo, I am with you, say it with me, always, even to the end of the world. He'll be with you in the good times. He'll be with you in the bad times. He'll be with you when circumstances of life are coming together and everything is beautiful. Don't you love those times? But he also says he'll be with you even when the circumstances of your life may appear to be falling apart. God says, I will be with you through all of the ups and the downs of life. Listen, if the Lord tarries for another hundred years, none of you are going to be here. You're all going to die. Did you know that? If the Lord tarries for another 50 years, looking around the room, most of you are probably going to be gone. If the Lord tarries another 20 years, looking around the room, some of you are going to be gone. If the Lord tarries another 10 years, some of you say, Pete, preacher, don't look at me, okay? Don't look at me. I want to be here. But to be honest, none of us know. You might not live another 10 days. Nobody knows how much longer we're going to live, but we do know the one who does know. We do know the one who is seated on the throne. We do know the one who says, I'll be with you through the ups and the downs and the itches and the heartaches, even through death itself. God says, I will be there with you. That's why Paul could write, death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you believe that? Can I get an amen? All right. Jan got a standing ovation. I got six amens. All right, we're doing well. It's often when the people, the circumstances we depend on most are gone, that we need a fresh reminder of who's on the throne. Isaiah says, I saw the Lord. He was on the throne. The question is not how big is your problem. The question is how big is your God? You serve a God who's greater than any issue, any problem, any struggle, any need. That does not mean if you follow God, you'll be rich. That does not mean if you follow God, you'll never have a headache or a heartache, or you won't get cancer, or you won't have a heart attack. That does not mean that, but what it does mean, in the middle of what you're going through, your God is still on the throne, your God is still at work, your God has not left you, he's not forgotten you, and you need to keep trusting in him. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says this. Trust in the Lord with, say it with me, all of your heart. That's the hard part, right? I can trust God when circumstances are going well. I can trust God when life makes sense. I can trust God when a check comes in the mail. I can trust God when my family members are still living, they're still healthy, they're still happy. I can trust God then, and so can you. But here's the question. 
Can you, will you trust God in all the circumstances of your life? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not into your own understanding. In all of your ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your paths. He is still sitting on the throne, even though the circumstances of your life may not look so great right now. But here's the problem. Too often, we want to sit on the throne with God. That's not very possible, is it not? Think about it. A throne is different than a pew. If you're sitting in a pew, there's room for more, right? If you're sitting on a couch, there's room for more. If you're sitting on a love seat, at least there's room for two people. But there's only room for one person on the throne. So if you put yourself on the throne, guess what you're doing? You're telling God, I got this. I'm on the throne, not you. Here's the question. Are you allowing God to sit on the throne of your life? Are you allowing him to be in charge, to be in control, to direct your steps and guide your path? Are you following him and trusting in him? Are you giving your life to him and allowing him to be the Lord who's in charge of your life? First one continues. God was seated on the throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. The word train refers to royal robes. The Lord's robe filled the temple. God's presence was filling the place of worship. That is a vitally important key to worshiping together. Listen, I love it when our band plays. How many of you enjoy the band? I love it when the praise team sings. How many of you enjoy the praise team? I love it when people like Miss Jan sing. I love it when our choir gets up here and they share a powerful song. I love it when we give God our best. How about you? And I want to keep improving and getting better and making a difference. I want to keep working to try to get better as a preacher, as a communicator. And I got a long way to go, but I'm working on it. It's really interesting. This past week, somebody came up to me and said, Kevin, Hey, been trying something different in your sermons? I said, well, yeah, kind of. Thanks for noticing. They said, it's not working for you, okay? Don't do it. It's like, okay, note to self. I guess I better get on a little harder. But sometimes I can study for 20 hours and fall flat on my face. And sometimes I might study for 10. It's like, God just showed up. Ultimately, what we do depends upon our God. Whether in preaching or in singing or in teaching in a Sunday school class or reaching out to the community, everything that we do ultimately depends upon God and it's for the glory of God. Amen? Verse 2. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. His face. And with two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. Seraphim are angelic creatures not mentioned anywhere else. In the Bible, the word seraph means burn. They were probably bright, or this may indicate their purity as God's ministers. They were bright, burning creatures who were hiding their faces from the greater brightness of the glory of God. They also covered their feet. Covering the feet suggests humility. If you truly get a glimpse of the greatness of God, you will be humble. One of the sins I believe God despises most is pride. James 4, 6 says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. 
Proverbs 16, 5 says, Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. Proverbs 8, excuse me, Proverbs 6, verse 16 and 17 tells us that there are six things that the Lord hates. Seven that are an abomination to him. And the first item on the list is, guess what? Pride. Isaiah 57, 15 says this. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place and also with him who is of contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. I don't know about you, but I want to be there. I want to be a person who walks in humility before God so that God can show up in my life. How about you? And when God does show up, make sure that he gets the glory. Jeremiah 9, chapter 20, verses 23 and 24 says, Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom, or the strong man boast of his strength, or the rich man boast of his riches. But let him who boasts, boast about this, that he understands and knows me, says God, that I am the true and the living God who exercises kindness and justice and righteousness on the earth. Don't misunderstand. I want to give our best. How about you? I've never read in the Bible where it says, blessed are the lazy. Have you? I haven't found it. God wants us to give our best. God wants us to do what we can do. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, study to show yourself approved a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We've got to give God our best. However, know this also. Psalm 127.1 says, unless the Lord builds a house. They labor in vain who build it. Zechariah 4, 6 says, It's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. In John 15, 5, Jesus said, I am the vine, and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do how much? Nothing. You can do nothing of eternal value apart from the power of God. Here's the good news. Through the power of God, we can do whatever God has called us to do. We can follow anywhere he calls us to go. We can obey any command that he gives. We can live in the power and the strength and the grace and the peace of our God. Verse 3. And one of the seraphs called to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. I don't know if the seraphs were singing or speaking, but I do know this. They had something to sing or speak about. Amen? And they were crying, holy, holy, holy. Say that with me. Holy, holy, holy. In the Hebrew language, there was no punctuation. They didn't have exclamation points. So in order to emphasize a word, they would repeat it. And did you know that holiness is the only attribute of God repeated three times in the Bible? Holy, holy, holy. In the book of Revelation, there are four living creatures around the throne of God. And day and night, night and day, do you know what they're saying? Love, love, love. All you need is love. Peace, peace. World peace. All we need is world peace. They're not saying that, are they? Not that love isn't important, not that peace isn't important. 
But they're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We serve a holy God. It's as though God were saying, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. Our God is holy. Question. When you think about God, what thoughts come to your mind? Heavenly grandfather, cosmic Santa Claus, all-seeing judge waiting to zap you with a bolt of lightning. What do you think about? When is the last time you stood or you knelt or you bowed and were in awe of your God? We serve an awesome God. Maybe you're out in the country one day. It was completely dark and a clear night and you're away from all the lights of the city and you looked up into heaven and you saw those stars and you thought, wow, our God is awesome. Or maybe you see, saw God at work in a situation where you never thought it could possibly be, but God did a miracle. You thought, wow, our God is awesome. Listen, your God is always awesome. Every single moment of every single day, He is awesome. But our problem, many times, is we don't notice it. If we could ever get a glimpse of how holy our God is, we would tremble in His presence. If God were to fill this room today with just a smidgen of His glory, we wouldn't run around high-fiving with weak teachers. Hey, that was great! You wouldn't be doing that. You probably fall on your face in worship, speechless, because you just experienced the presence of God. When we consider the fact that the all-seeing, all-knowing, ever-present, all-powerful God was willing to send His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, this earth for us, it is indescribable what He has done. Think about it. He came to this earth. He died on the cross for your sin. He rose from the dead. One day he's coming back again. And if you'll place your faith in Jesus Christ, you can live with him one day forever and ever. And I'm thankful for people like the Gideons who are out there sharing the good news. And we need to be out there sharing the good news as well. The three-time repetition underscored God's infinite holiness. And it may also be hinting at the doctrine of the Trinity. God the Father is holy. God the Son is holy. God the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit. His name even says holy. They're all holy. They're all one and they're all God. Verse 3 continues. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. Would to God that my life and your life be filled with the glory of God wherever we go. That when we leave this building today, there will be something about us that's different. Something about us that radiates salt and light that Jesus spoke about. Something about us that people would say, I don't know what it is about you, but there's something 
different about your life. The people that you work with, the people that you go to school with, the people that you spend time around, that they would see what God is doing in your life and, and how you handle circumstances that don't make sense and how you walk through valleys even though it doesn't look like you ought to be walking through valleys with the faith that you do. And they see what you have and they say, if that's what following God is about, I need me some of that. And may we also look for the glory of God wherever we go to watch for where God is working as Henry Blackaby says and join him. There are God sightings all around us. Text me some of those if you haven't already done that and we're going to share some of those before we leave. But we serve a God who is always at work in this world. He's asking to join him as he shares his glory with the world around us and he wants his light to shine, his glory to shine through your life as well. Verse 4. And the foundations of the thresholds that shook at the voice of him who was called, who called, and the house was filled with smoke. Sometimes God power, God's power is manifested by physical tremor. Sometimes God's power is shown by the cloud of smoke. But here in Isaiah chapter 6, there's no doubt that God is making at least a tiny glimpse of his glory known. And when Isaiah saw God's glory, he sensed his own inadequacy. Verse 5. And I said, woe is me, for I'm lost. I'm ruined. I'm undone. Isaiah is totally speechless. He's disintegrating. He's crumbling. He's shattered. He says, I'm broken. I'm ruined. I'm as good as dead. Isaiah continues. I'm a man of unclean lips. Here he is again, recognizing his own inadequacy. Listen, the closer we get to God, the brighter the searchlight on our own sin. And the more God shines his light on our sin, the more we realize how flawed and imperfect and utterly unworthy we are. Isaiah continues to say, For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. 62 times in this book, Isaiah conveys the concept of the glorious king. In all this splendor, leading the armies of heaven into triumph. Too often, rather than compare ourselves to God, you know what we do? We compare ourselves to one another. Think about it. You can always find somebody who's worse than you are, can you not? Some of us may have to think a little harder than others, but we can all think of somebody, can we not? Reminds me of the, the two brothers that lived in a small southern town. And they were wicked. They were ruthless. They were obnoxious. They were extortionists. They took advantage of people and gained quite a bit of wealth for themselves. But one day, the younger of the two brothers and the older brother knows nobody's going to want to preach his funeral and nobody's going to want to attend the funeral. So he comes with a plan. He goes to the local Baptist preacher who he knows has a fair amount of debt and he knows his church has a, quite a bit of debt. And he says to the preacher, he said, Pastor, if you will preach my brother's funeral and call him a saint during the funeral service, I will pay off all of your debt personally, and I'll pay off all the church's debt. 
hundreds of thousands of dollars. The pastor really doesn't want to do the funeral, but he knows he and the church, they really are desperate for the money. So he prays about it for about 10 seconds. He says, okay, I'll do it. Well, word got around the community that this pastor was going to preach that brother's funeral. And he was going to call this wicked, horrible person a saint in the middle of it. And so rather than three or four people coming out of obligation, two or three hundred people come just to see what's going to happen. And so the preacher gets up to preach. And he begins like this. He says, this man who died was horrible. He was awful. He was a thief. He was a cheat. He was a, a liar. He took advantage of people. He was an adulterer. He was one of the worst people that you could ever beat. However, compared to his older brother sitting over there, he was a saint. <laughs> Listen. We can all compare ourselves to other people. But let me challenge you. Take a look at God and realize like Isaiah did that woe is me. I am undone. I am ruined. I am desperate for the grace of God. Because it's only by the grace of God that I can be right with God. It's only by the grace of God that I have any hope of going into heaven. It's only by the grace of God that I can know God living inside of me, giving me power and strength and guidance moment by moment and day by day. But that's the good news. If you're willing by God's grace to turn your life over to Him, not only will He save you, He'll give you power, He'll give you grace. He'll give you strength through all of those uncertainties of life. That does not mean if you follow God, you're not going to have issues or problems or struggles or lose loved ones or lose your health or lose your money. But what it does mean is that you have a God who is greater than any of those things. And he wants to give you the power, the wisdom, the guidance you need, and the peace that passes all understanding while you're going through whatever you're going through for his glory. And one day he will take you to heaven to be with him forever and ever and ever. Amen? Compared to the length of eternity, your life on this earth, even if it was 100 years, would be less than a snap of finger in but eternity is eternity. Do you know where you're going to spend it? And are you living by the grace and by the power of God? Moment by moment.